0: Hello and welcome to the 2019-2020 NBA preview on Locked On NBA and the Locked On Podcast Network. I am David Locke, regularly the Thursday host of Locked On NBA. I will be with you for the next six days as we bring you the previews of all 30 NBA teams will take a division a day, starting today and each of the days next week. And unique to the Locked On Podcast Network, we will give you the local experts on every single team. After you get the... Bro- breakdown of those local experts. We will then check in with our new national show, Rejecting the Screen. Noah Kozlov of SiriusXM, NBA Radio, and Adam Stanko will give you tomorrow's headlines in every team. And then the number one fantasy expert in the NBA, Josh Lloyd of Locked on Fantasy Basketball, the number one most listened to fantasy basketball show that's out there, Locked on Fantasy Basketball. And Josh will give you a breakdown of each team's fantasy. So that's the plan. Starting today, we'll do a division a day, and we'll kick it off today with the Pacific Division, and we'll break down each team for you with the local experts. I'll give you some statistical analysis from our ex- exclusive points gain system we'll hear from rejecting the screen as well and locked on fantasy basketball we start with the pacific division as i mentioned and the defending champions of the pacific division they're not hanging banners for these things are the golden state warriors let's get a check from locked on warriors charles hamilton is the host and he tells us what's going on with this year's golden state warriors
1: hello everybody i am charles t hamilton the host of Locked On Warriors. And I would say the biggest storylines going into this season have to do with their biggest players. The Warriors' biggest players, Steph Curry and Draymond Green. Are they going to be able to get back to MVP level for Steph, Defensive Player of the Year level for Draymond? We already know that the Warriors are going to be without Klay Thompson for at least until the All-Star break. Are Draymond and Steph physically able to get back to those levels? Do they want to expend that much energy to get to, you know, MVP level and defensive player of the year level that they have been at before for this team to succeed and potentially make the playoffs? They're going to have to. The best case scenario for this team is kind of what I mentioned, but as far as what that actually is, is making the playoffs, but also being outside of the top 10 teams, top 10 records, because their first round pick is, is top 20 protected. So let's say they're the eighth seed in the West and they fall at pick 18 or 19 uh, in the draft. That would be the best case scenario for them because they get to keep their draft pick and they make the playoffs. But in order to do that, like I mentioned, it's going to be Steph Curry having MVP level season, Draymond green defensive player of the year type season, DeAngelo uh, D'Angelo Russell being a, a true all-star Level player, And then of course, some of these, these role players, some of these guys who haven't even proven themselves to be NBA role players yet have to step up and and get to at least that level. So there's a lot of things that need to happen for this team to reach its best case scenario. And that best case scenario for the first time in five years doesn't mean a championship. It means making the playoffs and probably getting to the second round and being a hard out in the second round, most likely. But that also depends on Klay Thompson. Does Klay Thompson come back after the All-Star break and is looked at as you know a major buyout candidate or major free agent signing that you get almost towards the end of the year? Uh, does he come back and and play to his level of knocking down threes and locking down on defense? A lot of factors going into this one, but pretty much the best-case scenario is, for this team, the best-case scenario for their top three, and fourth player when when he comes back, meaning Clay Thompson. Uh, What would lead to the worst-case scenario? Just about the opposite of what I said. Guys like Steph Curry and Draymond Green don't see the surrounding talent as good enough to take them to where they need to go, no matter how good that Steph and Draymond play, so they decide to, uh, you know, pack it in is the wrong term, but maybe they they see this as a year to recoup after five straight seasons of going to the finals. They've played over an extra season of playoff games in their last five years. So technically in the last five years, they've played over six seasons of regular season basketball. So maybe they see this as a time to relax and, and recoup and get ready for the next season when Klay Thompson will be healthy, when they know what they have in D'Angelo Russell or have moved on from D'Angelo Russell, when they don't have the hard cap restrictions to help build a better team around them. Uh, What else would be the worst case scenario would be D'Angelo Russell not fitting in? Does he not fit in on the court? Does Steve Kerr not make enough adjustments to help Uh, get the most out of D'Angelo Russell? So like, like with the best case scenario, there's a lot of factors in this worst case scenario. And part of those factors is how this team is going to look uh, stylistically different on both ends of the floor. Offensively, they're going to have to run a lot more pick and roll because of the fact that that's D'Angelo Russell's one elite skill. He is great in the pick and roll. He's a great decision maker out of the pick and roll. He's not a perfect fit for the motion offense and coming off screens and all that stuff that the Warriors do. So they're going to have to run a lot of pick and roll with D'Angelo Russell. I believe there's a stat out there that D'Angelo Russell ran more pick and roll by himself uh, for the Nets last year than the entire Warriors team did. So Steve Kerr's going to have to adjust. And I think he will. I, I, I give him credit to be smart enough to recognize how to get the most out of his players defensively they're going to look a lot different because of the fact that they lost a ton of defensive firepower ton of perimeter defense Kevin Durant Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston Clay Thompson is out for most of the year so stylistically it's going to look different they're not going to be switching everything just because they don't have the players capable of doing so and stylistically it's going to look different and I think the results are going to look different too I do not expect this team to have uh, a very good defense this year if they do Uh, Draymond Green, it would be his his greatest accomplishment of his career if he can take this team to a a top 10 defense. The player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season. This is a tough one, but I'm going to go with Jacob Evans. Uh, back up point guard, shooting guard, small forward, back up everything, basically. They're trying him at the point guard uh, this year, but the reason why I say he'll be thought of differently is because he's a second-year player who didn't get any time last year, looked lost, but I do believe that he's going to be a solid contributor to this team coming off the bench, so I do think that he will be one of the guys that proves himself to be a keeper and be a solid NBA role player, rotation player, which is definitely a different thought than what we had of him last year where... People were questioning whether he was whether he was a bust or not after one year, which I always find kind of ridiculous. But I do think it's going to be Jacob Evans who will be thought of differently. Now, as far as a player's career trajectory after this year, I do think it's going to be D'Angelo Russell uh, for the positive. I think he's going to have a good year with the Warriors. I do think he'll probably come close to matching his numbers of last year of 21 points and 7 assists, but I do think his efficiency will be a lot better with the Warriors. I think he's going to reap the benefits of playing with Draymond and Steph, and I think they're going to benefit from playing with him and his passing ability as well. So I do think that the career trajectory is going to be D'Angelo Russell, and it's going to be for the positive because I think some of the knocks on him was his inefficiency uh, with the Nets, And if he can have an efficient season, which I'm expecting, that will change a lot of opinions on D'Angelo Russell. As far as rookies that will have an impact on this team and how much, it's Jordan Poole and Eric Paschal and how much I think they're going to be in the rotation for 82 games. That's just how thin this roster is, how small the margin for error is, and how the Warriors are focusing on player development this year. They're going to play guys. They're going to play through a Jordan Poole 2-for-14 game where after a game like that, you'd usually see the guy on the bench next game. We're going to see him playing again. Uh, Eric Pascal, well-rounded. He'll be a solid player. Uh, not as flashy as Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole is, is more of your classic six-man gunner off the bench. Eric Pascal, solid in a lot of aspects of, uh, of the game. Good at a lot of stuff. Great at nothing yet. My best guess on how the season ends is it'll end with the Warriors fighting for a playoff spot. They play the Sacramento Kings in Game 82 of the season. It'd be a pretty cool scenario if it was for the eighth seed. But I think the season ends with a fight for a playoff spot. As far as my two predictions for this season go, one, I think Steph is going to have an incredible year. I think maybe the second best year of his career where... I think 2016, where he won unanimous MVP, might just be an anomaly. I don't think we'll ever see a season like that again. But if he can have something in between the first MVP season and the second MVP season, I think it'll be him reminding everyone just how great he is. Uh, Even though there are a lot of people that didn't forget, some did. And uh, it'll just be a reminder to everyone out there. And then this might contradict the first prediction, but I, I think the Warriors missed the playoffs this year. I think with how deep the West is, the Warriors could end up winning 47 games and miss the playoffs. We weren't supposed to talk about injuries, but because you can't predict injuries, but as far as this team is concerned, a you're looking at is Steph, Draymond, and D'Angelo Russell going to all play 82 games. And then on top of that, the margin for error with their role players is so slim and they have zero wiggle room considering the hard cap. So, If multiple role players get hurt, there's nothing they can do to replace them. They just have to go to whoever's next in line, to Alan Smilagich, to whoever they have, to the two-way players. So I just, I think it's going to be a really tough uphill battle for them to make the playoffs. But no one knows, and that's why they play the game. So you can follow the dubs with me all season long on Locked On Warriors, on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day.
0: Charles Hamilton, Wes Goldberg, part of Locked On Warriors for you. Great show for you to get the insight on the multiple-time champion now out of the Chase Center in San Francisco. Warriors obviously have a lot of changes. My analytics, though, still look okay for the Warriors in a lot of different ways. We have them as the 10th-ranked offense and the 10th-ranked defense and the 5th Fifth pick overall or the fifth seed overall in the Western Conference from our analytical breakdown. No opinions there, just numbers. So the Warriors still, just because of the greatness of Steph, come out pretty well on this. Let's find out what tomorrow's headlines, though, are from the Warriors. We go to the rejecting the screen show of Noah Kozlov and Adam Stenko. The Golden State Warriors headline that I can see coming. This defense
2: is awful. So who's... Who's switching on this team and it like, is it just Draymond green who last year lost 20 pounds to get himself in the shape down the stretch of the season for the playoffs. If he doesn't start out that way, he might lose all that weight in the first game. Cause he's just going to be running around in circles, trying to guard everybody. There's nobody, <laughs> there's nobody that's going to be playing defense. Draymond, he's got to have to guard one through five all at the same time. So no clay,
0: no mm. KD. Mm-hmm. No, Andre
2: Iguodala. Mm-hmm. So the last time that they've had an awful defense. So I mean, for uh, during during the stretch, they they had the the best defense in the league. They had a two or three. They had other times in in the top fifteen. But the last time they had an awful defense was the lockout year when I mean, they went twenty three and forty three, and that was in an uh, eleven twelve. But the but it's expected because the guys who were getting the most minutes never played defense. David Lee and and Monte Ellis. So mm. you are going to have you are going to ask Steph to do it. Mm, I wouldn't. D'Angelo Russell is not doing it. And the average NBA fan can't name five of the players on the Golden State Warriors team that has just completed a dynasty. So that's the headline. This defense is awful.
3: Ooh, it's you bring up a, a, a remarkable case. We we could be seeing an atrocious defense for the Warriors. I'm, I'm curious to see if that will play out. You talked about Steph. For me, the headline for tomorrow, Steph's best season yet. Now, Steph Curry's best season would have to be in 2016. Unanimous MVP, award winner, led the league in scoring, steals, free throw percentage. Oh yeah, he also made 402 three-pointers, which is just, bananas. Uh, I don't know that we'll ever see that record broken if it's not by Steph or Clay potentially at some point. But KD then joined the team in 2017, and every year since then, Steph's assists and steals numbers declined each season. I think he is going to go completely bonkers. Playing alongside D'Angelo Russell, playing with a chip on his shoulder, all the doubters, coming off a season in which they didn't win the title, I just think we are in for prime Steph like we have never seen. And what he could potentially do in terms of his scoring and setting other people up, we know how much he loves to be in that position and how much he feeds off the energy, whether it's negative or positive. And so I think we are going to see just an outstanding season from Steph Curry. And the minutes he might force himself to play to keep the Warriors in Serious playoff contention, not just an eighth seed, uh, could really put him at a point where maybe another unanimous MVP.
0: And the final piece to this puzzle is finding out what Josh Lloyd of Locked on Fantasy Basketball thinks of the Warriors and who you should take in the draft and
4: where. Things look very different for the Golden State Warriors for this season. Kevin Durant is gone. Andre Iguodala is gone. Klay Thompson is injured. They bring in D'Angelo Russell, who I think is in line to have the best fantasy season of his career. He's going to play more minutes than he played with Brooklyn. He's going to see a pretty large chunk of the usage because there's no one else on that team who's really going to take shots outside of Steph Curry. So Russell is an interesting pick to me in fantasy. Steph also pushes back up to be in the conversation to be the number one fantasy basketball player. His usage is going to rise. They're going to have to rely upon him if they're going to want to make any sort of noise in the playoffs. His scoring should go up, as should Draymond Greens, who saw a really, really low usage. That should bump back up, not to huge levels, but should see an improvement across the board. The other sleeper I like for the Warriors, Kevon Looney. Willie cauley going to be out to start the season. I didn't think that Cauley-Stein was going to be playing more minutes than Looney anyway, so that doesn't really change too much. He is the fourth guy on this team, Looney. He gets steals, he's got a good field goal percentage, he can block some shots, he flashed some playmaking ability, and he's going to be a very interesting later round pick. Despite being injured at the moment, For this Warriors team, outside of those four players, there's not much on the fantasy radar at all. The fifth starter spot is up for grabs. Will it be Glenn Robinson? Will it be Alec Burks? Will it be Alfonso McKinney? Regardless of who it is, I don't think that player is having really too much of an impact. And for deeper leagues, guys like Eric Pascal or Jordan Poole, rookies, second rounder or late first round players, they could be in the mix to put up some numbers for those
0: deeper league formats. One team in the books, it is the Golden State Warriors, the team that's now projected in all likelihood to win this year's Pacific Division, are the Los Angeles Clippers. Our Clippers show is a great deal of fun, and you'll know that right now as we head over to the guys in L.A. and Locked on Clippers to get a breakdown of the biggest movers and shakers of the offseason. What's going on, Locked On
5: NBA? It is me, Positive Chuck Mockler. and I'm William, the Opinion Updike, and we're here to talk about the Clippers season preview for you. We got a lot. We do. If you like what you hear,
6: make sure to check us out on Locked On, Locked On Clippers.
5: Oh yes. Yeah. So we, I mean, there's a couple big storylines to talk about. I think we can kind of lump Kawhi and Paul George into their own storyline. Mm-hmm. Something about that. What? I mean, what needs to happen for us to have the best case scenario for the season, which truly is winning a championship, given what the roster looks like now? And the expectations. Yeah.
6: Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how each of these guys are able to elevate their game
5: from what, for both of them, is probably you know one of the best seasons of their careers. In terms of roster, I think we can both agree it's probably the best roster each of these guys has been on.
6: Yeah, and I think in the other one, each has the best the best teammate that they've ever had.
5: I yeah, okay, I'll agree with that. Uh, what is? Let's get this one out of the way really quick. Worst case scenario, and we're not saying the I word because we can't. Yeah, but what? I mean, for me, worst case scenario is there seems to be some concern over our center depth, which I can kind of understand. Zubots and Trez to the outside eye doesn't seem the most domineering presence, yeah.
6: Especially, no, given,
5: especially given the team across the hall.
6: My counterpoint would be uh, what, what finals, conference finals, finals, <laughs> are centers the devastating force right now that's winning you a chip?
5: The team across the hall seems to think that no one can guard their big guy. <laughs> so, I mean, he doesn't even play the five. <laughs> that is true. Um, I think that's the situation. And then another common one that we see is the distribution. Mm-hmm. Is it maybe the point guard situation is so muddled that this team just can't manage to figure out who gets the ball? I personally don't think that's going to be a big deal at all. Yeah, I mean, well, there's two ways to look at it. You have two guys
6: in, in Kawhi and Paul George who, in pick-and-roll situations, are excellent ball handlers. Kawhi, you know, more of a pass-out-of-a-double-team-or-something guy than, mm-hmm. uh, like, a, a floor journal or an assist man. So, on one hand, you know, these guys could kind of make up for the lack of, I mean, like, yeah, we can say lack of playmaking. Yeah, uh, definitely fair. At the guard position. Or on the flip side, in our nightmare scenario, (laughs) um, everybody is trying too hard to handle the ball, that
5: nobody is really sure how to make everything coalesce together. Yeah, we see a lot of Montrez handles in this scenario for you. How's this team going to be different on either side of the ball this year well defensively
6: it's just going to be a completely different team oh it's going to be ratcheted um if you've watched any of the preseason for the clippers you know maybe you have uh (laughs) the transition defense has been awful it was a it was a pretty sore point through most of the season last year yes as well as um i mean obviously in our in our singular playoff series so i think that that is going to be Vastly improved. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think on the other side of the floor, I'm guessing that things are gonna be a little bit more methodical.
5: <laughs> yeah, I think Kawhi and Paul George bring almost a steamroller type game to both sides of the ball where we're just we're not stopping. It's gonna be a kind of a slow and steady Gotcha. Just, just not, take your will out of the game completely on both ends.
6: Yeah, you're not saying like a rip roaring kind of steamroll. No. no, it's,
5: it's gonna, more of a slow push. Yes, like you, steady push. Yeah, the other team's gonna get their their shoelace caught, and before they know it, it's just over. You know what I mean? <laughs> that kind of, that kind of scenario. Um, who's gonna be thought differently at the end of the season? I think it, I think it's Kawhi. For me, it's Kawhi and Paul George because this hinges legacy wise. This is kind of a big deal, especially for Kawhi, given last year. I
6: <laughs> think I think it's, I think, uh, it's actually going to be singularly Paul George. Damn, um, Kawhi's been elevated in the conversation of uh, you know the, the best players right now, like arguably the number one. Absolutely. Uh, and this is going to be the largest profile team that. Paul George has been on. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, OKC, great fan base, but it ain't L.A. basketball. And I think that there's going to be huge expectations on him to how he can contribute uh, to a squad
5: this winning. Which rookies do we think are going to have a good year? Terrence Mann. OK, yeah, if you're not familiar with Terrence Mann, Jerry West loves him. The fan base loves him. Go watch some of his highlights. He's a raw point guard. He's going to be making his mark this year. Might see some backup minutes. A lot of, I mean, great frame, uh, six seven, and seemingly getting bigger every day.
6: Yeah, uh, very comfortable. Getting physical, driving in the lane, uh, likes to likes to pass. Yeah. So, how's this season ending? What do we think is going to happen? Uh, I mean, for me, it's Westerns Conference Finals or bust.
5: I man, I, I feel the same way. I think we, we have to get a top four seed. We gotta go to the Western Conference Finals. And if we don't do it this year, the nineteen twenty season has even more pressure on it than this year. Absolutely. Oh man. Well, thank you for hanging out with us for this brief stint, catching you up on the Clippers upcoming season. It's gonna be a doozy. It's gonna be a doozy. You can find us Monday through Friday. And then if something crazy happens on the weekends as well at Locked
0: on Clips, one more time. I am positive Chuck Mockler. And I'm William, the opinion Update. The Locked On Podcast Network analytics of points gained agrees on the Clippers. Has them as the second-ranked offensive team in the NBA this year. The defensive ranking we got from Kevin Pelton from ESPN has them just 18th. That seems unlikely. That have bumped that up a little bit in everyone's expectations. You have the number one seed in the Western Conference this year. A big jump from where they were a year ago. What are tomorrow's headlines? of the Los Angeles Clippers? Let's find out from Noah Kozlov, Adam Stenko of rejecting the screen. Here's my headline that's coming for the Clippers. Not enough
2: people are talking about Landry Shaman. Now, you know how I just can't stand the nobody is talking about not enough people are talking about it because you could hear somebody and most likely here on Lockdown since there's every team every day. But you can always hear somebody an authority talking about someone or some team. But Landry Shamet was part of the Tobias Harris deal when Tobias Harris went to Philadelphia. Guy shot 45% from three last year with the Clippers in those 25 games. And he's also going to play some point, too. And I think that is going to be critical for the Clippers because they're going to need some sort of other playmaking at the, or at least stability at the point guard position, not having Shay Gilgis Alexander there anymore. But Landry Shamit will be the guy that we'll hear. Not enough people are talking about Landry Shamit. And all he's doing out there is knocking down threes.
3: You love that one almost as much as everyone is talking about Landry Shamit. I know those are your two favorites. For me, my headline for tomorrow for the Clippers clips continue to put off Paul George's return. Oh. We know that Paul George is going to miss time at the beginning of of the season dealing with shoulder surgeries. My thing is that the team they have currently and the depth that is in Clipperland right now especially up front is something that can carry this team for a while and give them still tremendous success without Paul George and thus there's no need to rush him back. And so I think Forget about what the severity of this injury is, and I don't mean to alarm people. I'm more referring to the idea that if you have a player that is that vital to you, especially come playoff time, if you have a chance to rest him longer than normal and make sure he is fully recovered, not 90%, not 95%, but as close to 100% as possible, you're going to do that. And I think that's critical because Zubacht, Montrezl Harrell, Mo Harkless, who started in Portland for their playoff team, and Fiondo Cabangeli, the Florida State rookie, I think provides them with a lot of depth in their front court, a lot of toughness, rebounding, defensive abilities. So I think those guys are going to be able to carry the weight, and I think that the Clippers, even without Paul George, are going to have tremendous success early in the season, and that will put off his injury long term.
4: Things are obviously pretty different for the Los Angeles Clippers for fantasy basketball for this season. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are there now. Of course, the big concerns with those two are injuries. It looks to me as if Paul George will miss all of October and the majority of November as well. That makes him a hard sell in terms of being a top 20 pick. I'd probably want to wait until my third round pick to take George. I think there'll be some injury and rest issues with that shoulder as well. But I just don't want to spend like a top 12 or top 13 pick on a guy who's going to miss maybe six weeks of the season. As for Kawhi, I don't think he's going to sit out 22 games like he did last season. I think the Clippers have a lower margin for error in terms of resting him in getting themselves a decent playoff seat, especially if George is going to miss as much time as I project him to. So I think Kawhi is probably a a top 10 player. There is still risk involved in that, obviously. With Leonard and George now in town, I think guys like Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell take a little bit of a step backwards in terms of their overall production. They put up big numbers last season, but I could see both of them stepping back. Landry Shamet should be in the mix as a starter for the Clippers, but he doesn't provide too much more outside of three-pointers, but he could be an interesting stream for that first six weeks of the season while George is out. The same goes for Mo Harkless, who should step into a larger role. If you're in a deeper league, a guy like Terrence Mann, who's been really impressive in preseason, could be a deep league backup point guard type player. Also, Patrick Beverly has late round value for standard formats as well.
0: That was Josh Lloyd with the Fantasy Basketball Look. Make sure you subscribe to Josh's show, Locked on Fantasy Basketball. And Rejecting the Screen should be up on iTunes for you, or at least will be very soon. And make sure you subscribe to that and get Noah and Adam each and every day. So two teams are in the books. We've got the Warriors for you. We've got the Clippers. Last year's surprise team was the Sacramento Kings. They knocked on the door of the playoffs. Is this the year that they are going to break through and make the playoffs matt george is the host of locked on kings he's covers that team each and every day for you as the local expert and he's also one of the most optimistic guys you know about his team i'm sure he is this year as well with all the changes the kings have made this is
7: Matt George, host of the Locked on Kings podcast, with your 2019 2020 Sacramento Kings regular season preview. And there are a lot of storylines with this Kings team. The first and foremost being can they improve upon their 39 win season last year and finally end the longest tenured playoff drought? in the NBA. The Kings haven't made the postseason since 2006, but here in Sacramento, this team has given us the best uh, confidence that we've had going into a season that that streak can finally come to an end. That ties directly into De'Aaron Fox's continued development. He had a great boost in his sophomore season, improving and really putting himself on the map. Now, can he continue that growth and become an all-star or be amongst the all-star conversation with a very talented backcourt in the Western Conference. Also, Marvin Bagley, now a full-time starter with the Sacramento Kings, or at least he is expected to be the number 2 overall pick in last year's draft. And Luke Walton, new head coach of the Kings. Can he get everybody playing as a cohesive unit on both ends of the ball? And that's what needs to happen for the best-case scenario for this Kings team this year. Offensively, we know they can get out and run. We know they can score a lot of points. But when they are forced into half-court offensive sets, they really struggled to find a way to score. Score the ball. So it's improving on that. And then the defensive end requires a complete overhaul. Now they did bring in uh, some new rim protectors and hustle guys that can protect the paint and make a scoring inside and in the lanes a little bit more difficult, but the perimeter defense is where the Kings have been destroyed uh, over the last few years, and that includes uh, needed improvement from De'Aaron Fox, from Buddy Heald, from Bogdan Bogdanovich. Really roster wide, the Kings need to do a better job defending the perimeter. Worst case scenario for this Kings team is going backwards. The fact that they showed so much promise uh, last season and have there is so much excitement and there is so much hope in, in Sacramento that they can continue on the right direction. If they miss the playoffs but still improve upon 39 wins, that's not the end of the world. But to me, if the Kings don't manage to improve upon 39 wins, even though the West is as talented as it is, uh, then the Kings would be basically treading water back in what I call NBA purgatory, going nowhere, uh, and that is not what they this young roster. Looks to be doing Uh, stylistically, for the most part, this team's going to be relatively the same, especially on the offensive end of the floor. We expect them uh, to continue to push the tempo. However, Luke Walton has emphasized that the Kings are going to take a higher volume of three point shots than they did last year. Over the last two seasons, the Kings have been one of the best three point shooting teams in the league. But under Dave Yeager, they did not shoot as many attempts as we would like to see. So that's probably going to be the strictest difference uh, with the Kings team, at least offensively. Uh, this year. The player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season. That's a tough one. Harry Giles is a name you can be put in there because the Kings have high hopes and high expectations for him to potentially take over as the uh, the starting center for this Kings squad eventually. But I'm actually going to throw Marvin Bagley uh, into the mix in that conversation because we know he can tear it up off of the bench and we know he has a lot of promise as a former number two overall pick. But the Kings want him to really prove that he is amongst the best of the best from that draft class as a consistent full-time starter. He's the only one out of really the top 10, uh, mostly the top five of that draft that did not start consistently last year but still put up great numbers. So can he do that as a starter? Uh, And can he be worthy of being put into the conversation with Luka Doncic and with Trey Young and the rest of that talented uh, draft class? uh, Career trajectory most impacted by the season, uh, either good or bad. There's not one player uh, you can really peg that on, De'Aaron Fox, in a major way. Like I mentioned, Harry Giles and Marvin Bagley. Uh, You could say Bogdan Bogdano as well, who's coming off of a fantastic summer uh, with Serbia in the FIBA World Cup. He had kind of a slump in his second season in the league last year, but the Kings need him to be a primary scorer off the bench, and there's many in in Sacramento, myself included, that believe he could potentially compete for a sixth man of the year role, and hopefully the Kings will be able uh, to figure that out. Rookie wise, the Kings don't have much to really gloat about. They only had second round picks uh, in this draft. Kyle Guy I... Justin James. Neither are expected to get much run uh, with the main roster. will probably spend most of their time in G League Stockton. Uh, so that is the situation, honestly, with the rookies. The Kings are young enough as it is. They have their young core already put together and didn't do much this summer in the draft to really add to that. Honestly, my best guess how the season ends, and I've gone out on a limb before and been optimistic before, I think the Kings do make the playoffs. It's going to require a pretty significant improvement over last year. but this team is in the right place and has the right uh, mindset to do that. I'm predicting around 45 wins, and hopefully that's enough for the Kings to sneak into the eighth seed, maybe compete for the seventh seed, but I have a feeling we're going to have a pretty fun and crazy race uh, for those final few seeds in the Western Conference come the end of this year. The good feeling in Sacramento and the good news is with this Kings team is they know that they can compete with any team on any given night. Now, there are going to be their their fair share of blowouts, and struggles at times. That happens every season for every team, Uh, but the Kings do not fear anybody and they believe they deserve to be in the conversation. They expressed as much uh, at Media Day and in their multiple preseason uh, press conferences uh, and workouts. Final predictions. Kings will make the playoffs this year. They will win 45 games. De'Aaron Fox will be amongst the all-star conversation, even if he results in being an all-star snub. He'll have the kind of season uh, to at least put him in the conversation, and we'll be looking at Bogdan Bogdanovich as a sixth man of the year candidate. It should be a fun season for the Sacramento Kings. Let's hope they can end that playoff drought. Let the
0: Wild West begin. Can't wait to get it started. The Locked On Podcast Network analytics of points gained are not quite as excited for the Kings. We project them as the 16th-ranked offensive team in the NBA this year, 10th in the Western Conference, 22nd-ranked defense, and that leaves them 12th in the Western Conference, which would certainly be a disappointment after all the moves, the excitement. But when you think about what Matt talked about, the play of De'Aaron Fox, the steps of Marvin Bagley, you would think that tomorrow's headlines – are going to be pretty good. Well, let's find out from the Rejecting the Screen team. Make sure you subscribe to that on iTunes, Rejecting the Screen. Here's Noah Kozlov. Here's Adam Stanko with tomorrow's headlines. Let's get
2: into the Kings here. I could see this headline coming. De'Aaron Fox is an all-star snub. All right. Well, one, let's relax with snub in the Western Conference. So here are the 13 guards. Give they could be me. all. They could be all stars. This is just now we could have some surprises. And on the all-star rosters, six can be guards: Luca, DeRozan, Drew Holiday, Harden, Russ, Booker, Steph, Lou Will, Dame, CJ, Jamal Murray. Who else am I missing? Mike Conley, and then Darren Fox. So Mike Conley, when Clay Thompson went down, I thought my my first thought in not really sensitive, I guess, was, oh, Mike Conley can be an all-star now. Never been an all-star. Been the highest-paid player in the league before. Never been an all-star. But, yeah, De'Aaron Fox is electric and exciting. But let's just pump the brakes because this Kings team has won, last year went 39-43, and and they've won 35-plus games just twice during this 13-year playoff drought. So there are some other guys that have accomplished more with their teams already. And given the crowded nature of this Western conference backcourt that will be considered for all-star spots, you're going to have to do something insanely special to stand out as a first-timer. I love De'Aaron Fox. I
3: think his future is incredibly bright, but I think you make an incredible case that it's going to be awfully tough to make the all-star team in the West. However. I think there might be a Kings all-star. I think my headline is, my headline is Marvin Bagley
2: is an all-star. Wait, wait, wait. But you don't, you don't really believe it. You just think that this will be out there by some, or you actually think Marvin Bagley will be an all-star. I'm making the prediction today that
3: Marvin Bagley will be an all-star. You really do need more sleep. I probably do. You're probably right. But look, maybe it's me just being the optimist here. Uh, Maybe I just want to impress the guys for the Locked On Kings network. But (laughs) 15 games last year in which he played between 30 and 39 minutes, he averaged 21 and 11. We know the potential of Marvin Bagley between his athleticism, his size, his length. I've seen him now step out. He's shooting it some and his confidence level and his understanding of how to play has grown as well. We always knew he could run the floor. We always knew he could finish. But some of the other things in terms of the basketball development are coming through. He is a young guy. I think Marvin Bagley's 20 years old right now. I think his birthday's in March, if I have that correct. Marvin Bagley, I think, could be. Now, look, no, maybe you convinced me. Maybe I changed it. Maybe it's. That's we fun. see a headline somewhere. Do it all right, you know what, I'm doing it. Declare. And just remember, only remember this if Marvin Bagley is indeed an Austin. Awesome.
4: The big change for the Sacramento Kings this season, apart from the change in head coach, is that Marvin Bagley will move into a larger role. He played only 25 minutes a game last season, but should be looking to 30 plus As the starting power forward, there are still concerns with his free throw shooting, uh, lack of assists and lack of defensive numbers. But a 20-10 and season wouldn't be completely crazy for Bagley. And he's a nice mid-round player. I think we expect De'Aaron Fox to take a little bit of a step forward this season as well. While Buddy Heald should be consistently around that 20-point mark with high field goal percentage, a great volume on his three-pointers. But what else he can provide? Yeah, that could be a little bit limited. Harrison Barnes came over last season. He's going to be the starting small forward. He was in a pretty low usage role with this team compared to what he'd been as a member of the Dallas Mavericks. I don't really think he's much of a 12-team league player, nor do I think with Trevor Ariza is in anywhere near that boat as well. Although Ariza played a lot more minutes over in India than I thought he would. The fact that Ariza played that much does limit a little bit of the upside on someone like Bogdan Bogdanovich, who I think should be getting 30 minutes a night. He's probably going to be kept down in the 27 to 28-minute zone. That still makes him a late-round player, but limits his overall upside with Barnes and Ariza there. The other guy they brought in, Dwayne Dedman, to be the starting center. He can be strong in that 90 to 110-type range. A shot-blocking, three-point shooting, good free-throw percentage center can be really valuable at the back end of your draft. And Bagley uh, and Dedman should provide a pretty interesting front-court combo, Of course, that does limit Harry Giles and the newly acquired Rashawn Holmes as well, who aren't going to be too much of a factor for this Kings
0: team. The fantasy expert, Josh Lloyd, giving you the insight there. Locked on fantasy basketball with Josh Lloyd. Next, we'll stop with the Phoenix Suns. Evan Sittery, Brandon Clean do a great job on the Phoenix Suns podcasts often looking at the draft, but maybe this year they're going to be looking at more than the draft. Monty Williams has taken over as the head coach. Things have certainly changed in Phoenix, or have they not, because Robert Sarver is still the owner. Let's find out what the Locked On Suns crew has to say about what they expect to see this season from the Phoenix Suns, and in a moment I'll give you the analytics on it, and they're a bit surprising, but first the breakdown from the local experts from the Locked On Suns. The Phoenix Suns are now up
8: here, and we're going to discuss what we believe is going to be a very interesting season now for the Phoenix Suns. And Brennan clean my co-host, this is Evan Saria as well, the co-host of Locked On Suns. And we're here to discuss the Phoenix Suns today, Brennan. It seems like this is one of the more intriguing teams, even though many are not really talking about them. And for good reason over the last couple of years, just due to how how bad the on-court product has been for the Phoenix Suns. But I feel like this could be one of the more intriguing teams in the West.
9: I think they'll definitely be one of the the teams that we look back on that improved the most in the win column, right? Uh, and that's mostly because of how bad they were last year. but I think it's it's certainly fair to say they'll give they'll give uh, you know casual fans or even you know people who love the NBA who really didn't have much of a reason to pay attention to Phoenix or try to watch their games or keep up with anything with the Suns. I think that they will, Have a reason to because this is going to be a more fun team to watch and a a more competitive team night to night.
8: We're going to dive in now to the biggest storylines that the Suns now are going to have this year in the 2019-20 campaign. And for me, Brent, I'm going to go with DeAndre Ayton and his year two leap. We've seen big men in the past like Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis take very critical year two leaps. And I think that's something that needs to happen with DeAndre Ayton this year. We've only seen one preseason game so far, but the results are very promising. And that leads into my second point. The point guard position, Ricky Rubio, he looks like a very nice addition to this team, not only from a leadership standpoint, but from the on court standpoint as well. Because the Suns have been missing a pass first point guard for about eight years now, and they have a point guard that has averaged at least seven and a half assists since Steve Nash in 2011-2012. And I think Rubio was well on his way to to really snapping that streak there and being a a key cog to this machine in Phoenix.
9: Yeah, he's a big reason why the team's going to be both of the the things I just said it more more watchable and more competitive. I think Rubio will be a driving force in both of those. To me, the final storyline that I would add in is how the draft night deal between Phoenix and Minnesota pans out. Uh, Dario Saric and Cam Johnson heading to Phoenix in that deal by way of the 11th pick for Johnson and Jarrett Culver being selected by way of the number six pick by the Timberwolves. So what happens with that? Deal, uh, you know, on both sides, but from the Suns' point of view, does Johnson prove his value as somebody who is 23 years old already and was taken in part because of his NBA readiness? And is is Dario Saric potentially a guy who the Suns see as a a real fit next to DeAndre Ayton, the guy you just highlighted as somebody that they might want to uh, keep long term? Or does it at least tell us something about the type of player that can succeed next to DeAndre Ayton, even if? Sharich doesn't end up being the, the guy himself.
8: On to the best and worst case scenarios now for the Phoenix Suns, Brian. I think the best case scenario for this team, we're, we're realistically probably around 35 or so wins. And I think most of that's going to have to do with not only Devin Booker, but DeAndre as well. Those two guys taking steps forward in their games, I think are really there on the table for them to do with the system around them and the best players they've had around them and their career so far in Phoenix. And I think as well, what goes with that best case scenario is the new additions like Rubio and Sarge, like you mentioned there, Brennan as well. And I think if those two guys adjust quickly and do really well here, I think it's going to be a surprising season for the Suns. And for the worst case scenario, I really think that if those new additions don't adjust, if Rubio for some reason isn't really meshing well with Booker in the backcourt, if Sarge can't really help. DeAndre and on the offensive end, while the defensive end, as we know, is going to be a struggle a little bit this year with those two guys. I think a lot relies on the new additions here. I think what falls back most in the best case scenario here, Bren, is that you have two building blocks for the next decade or so, hopefully, and Booker and Aiden.
9: Yeah, to me, some of the things we've talked about on our show that are contributors to a best case scenario, from a record standpoint, but also just from a competitiveness and development standpoint, is pretty simple qualities that the suns just have not been able to overcome really shooting themselves in the foot on a nightly basis over the past several seasons. So cutting down on turnovers, taking and making more threes, uh, having the ball move at a high level, which I think is, you know, the the two new starters you just mentioned are going to play a a massive role in that. And then worst case to me is the pressure that the suns have put. It might not seem like they have put pressure on their young guys because they, upgraded the talent around them. So obviously they won't have to be incredible every night for the Suns to win games, but I think it is fair to say that there's a a decent amount of pressure on Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and some of the other young players here now to make that step because we always talk about how young players aren't insulated enough to make those steps forward. Uh, Now this team is, and so we need to see something from DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker. If we don't, if they'd still have a lot of holes in their game despite the talent around them upgrading, uh, that'll be pretty bad. And so we we will definitely be watching that going forward.
8: I think as well, diving in now to our next point we wanted to discuss here, what kind of style of play are we going to see from the Sun this year, Brand? Because once again, a new co- head coach in Phoenix, that should be no surprise to anyone that follows the NBA. That's four straight coaches now in four years for the Phoenix Suns. As Monty Williams, though, is a significant upgrade over what we've seen in the past with this franchise. So overall, I really believe that could be a possibility for this team. And having a guy like Monty Williams, who we've seen so far as a switching defense, and he's an attacking style offense and a fast paced thing. Fans are going to like to see.
9: Yeah, those are my two as well. I think on offense you're going to see them play faster. On defense, they're going to be a little bit more uh, versatile. I'll try a little bit more as far as switching and kind of changing matchups around. So not too different because you don't want to get things too complicated with a young team. But some ways to get a little bit better, I think. Hopefully, a couple of players we want to talk about who are most likely to be thought of differently or guys whose career trajectory could be impacted. I mean, I mentioned the two young guys. Uh, To me, I think Devin Booker is the guy I'm already preparing, honestly, with how much uh, backlash he's gotten over the past few seasons, if not longer. Uh, I think he's a guy who, if the Suns are in that low 30s win, win total area, we'll be talking about him kind of the same way we talk about Drew Holiday or... Bradley Beal, and he'll he'll earn a lot more respect. And I get that he has to earn it, but it is funny that it all it takes is a few more wins to get that. I think he'll definitely earn it this year.
8: I'm right there with you, Brian. I think Booker's a player is going to have a lot of different opinions about him, as we've seen so far this offseason. I think they're going to be flipped around by this time next year, as Booker looks to make himself a winning player in the eyes of many around the NBA, which I think he's going to do this year with they whopping it a roster around him. But for me, I, I think most likely to be thought of different for me is Ricky Rubio. I know it might be a surprising answer, but I feel like we haven't seen the Minnesota version of Rubio and that Minnesota version of Rubio, when he was a past first point guard, really pushing the pace in a high pass, high, high paced offense. And he had some good weapons around him as far as offense goes. I think that Rubio is going to revive that part of his career and have a really Maybe his career best year in Phoenix. I'm really getting that that feeling so far. And having players like Booker and Aiton alongside him, as well as Kelly Uber and Mikhail Bruce in the wing, I think they have the chance to hide his weaknesses too on this team. And I think Rubio could be a player who's thought maybe more so of a lock as far as the top 15 point guards in the NBA go.
9: The other one that I want to mention here on as far as kind of the a guy we might really look back on this season being a, a big turning point one way or the other is Kelly Oubre, who just signed a two-year contract, a guy who really rejuvenated himself on the offensive and defensive ends last season in late-season games with Phoenix that you could argue weren't incredibly uh, important. So how he continues in the positive or negative direction will be huge not only for his career, but whether the Suns want to start thinking about locking him up past those two seasons and if he's really a core part of this team or not. We mentioned the rookies already. Uh, I think Cam Johnson will play a decent amount for this team. They also took Ty Jerome twenty fourth after a trade with the Celtics. We've seen Ty Jerome get a lot of buzz around camp, uh, around the team in camp, and throughout the preseason, the first couple games here. So, uh, Ty Jerome, somebody who I think will be more a part of this team on the court than we expected. But those are really the only two guys here, and uh, I think the Suns are trying to protect them as far as how much they have to produce. They will both be. I think bench players not really overextending more than they have to.
8: Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, Brandon, with the rookies. I think it's going to be more of a – if they prove themselves early on, as Monty Williams mentioned as well, and as Media Day Presser, they're not going to earn minutes – they're not going to gift minutes to these rookie players. It's going to have to be earned on this team with the new culture we're trying to set. So I think it's going to have to be fluctuating as far as how good we – impact Cam Johnson, Ty Jerome make – Not only on the basketball court in real games, but in practice too, to make up for that maybe some lack of rotation minutes or on the season. But let's dive into our predictions now, Brent. What's your best guess for how this is going to end for this team as far as record goes?
9: Yeah, I mean, I don't, as far as like where this team ends up on the last day, like playoffs or not, it's clearly going to not be a playoff team. Let's not kid ourselves here. Uh, Despite how much we believe that they can improve, I don't think anyone's imagining they'll jump from 19 wins to the playoffs. So I think, you know, where I've been, you mentioned it as a best case type of scenario, just going through the schedule, which is pretty uh, soft during the middle, starts out difficult and ends difficult, but is nice and home heavy during the middle of the year and uh, has some teams to beat up on. If they don't tank and stay relatively healthy, 35 wins is where I'm at. It's it's very high, but I'm sticking to it because, you know, you got to hold yourself accountable, right?
8: Yeah, absolutely. And if we're going back to our, if you listen to our show, Locked on Suns, we had a scheduled prediction show right when they came out and I'm going to stick to it so far. 32 and 50 is my prediction. I think this team is going to have some struggles in some months and there's going to have some really good months though. It's going to be probably a lot of peaks and valleys for this team this year, but that's a a lot better stretch than we've seen, Brandon, as far as it's been more of a train wreck than a a mountain climb, so to say. And that has been fun to follow along with. But with the new culture in place, with Monty Williams and James Jones. I think it's going to be a a more consistent kind of team. I'm looking forward to seeing it this year. But what are two final predictions for the season that you wanted to hit on, Brun?
9: It's tough. I, I don't necessarily have any hot takes about this year. Um, I'll say it, I, I did this on a show we did, so I'll throw it out here. I'll say Devin Booker averages 30 points a game. I think it's unlikely, but it's a, it's the closest to a – Decently likely take that I have about this team, uh, and I, I'll say that they finish in the top around league average, around the top fifteen offensively. I'll say this team can can get to that point from an offensive efficiency standpoint and challenge for the top fifteen.
8: I like it. I like your Booker prediction there. I'm going to follow suit with you. I think he he won't exactly get like the thirty. I think he'll be around 27, 28. But he's going to be a top three score in the NBA this I think he finishes right around near that scoring champion mark. I don't know who it's going to go to. It might be Booker, but I think Booker will be a top three this year after vaulting into the top ten this time last year. But for me, my final prediction on the season, I have been riding his hot hand throughout the throughout this little preview section. I think Ricky Rubio is going to lead the NBA in assists per game this year. I think he's going to put up around eight and a half to nine assists per game and lead the Suns to an approved season.
9: There you go. With Harden and Westbrook kind of uh, cannibalizing those assists, that, that is up for grabs. I think it was Zach Lowe mentioned Nikola Jokic potentially taking it, so that'll be fun, uh, that competition, and I think Rubio has a good shot.
8: Yeah, absolutely. And go ahead and subscribe to Locked on Suns. I already appreciate Everyone listening in, I think it's going to be a very fun season here for the Phoenix Suns.
0: Analytics really are a surprise on this Phoenix Suns team. We have them ranked as the 12th ranked offensive team in all of the NBA, 24th defensively and 10th in the league in the Western Conference. Actually finishing uh, right equal with Dallas or even maybe a notch above uh, Dallas. Right, really, right with Dallas, virtually tied with them. Sacramento, virtually tied, maybe a notch ahead of Sacramento. So surprising how highly ranked we have the Phoenix Suns. That would lead to some pretty good highlight uh, headlines for Monty Williams. But that's not what Adam Stenko necess- and Noah Kozlov necessarily see. In fact, Noah of rejecting the screen, certainly is going to reject my screen of saying the Suns are 10th with what he sees to be as tomorrow's headline for the Phoenix Suns. How's this for the Phoenix Suns? The Monty
2: Williams era will open up 0-5. So the Phoenix Suns have Sacramento at home, then they're at Denver, home for the Clippers on a back-to-back. Utah, Golden State. First five games in eight days. For Monty Williams, with a Ricky Rubio trying to get things together with Devin Booker and figure this all out, and all of a sudden Rubio's a, a star just because Devin Booker has a capable point guard. Last year they actually won their opener, and then they lost seven straight. Year before that they started zero and three. Year before that they started zero and four. The Suns are exciting to watch because of Devin Booker and because of what Ricky Rubio can do for that team. And it's a shame that DeAndre Ayton's rookie season got so far overshadowed by Luca, mm-hmm. and then what Trey did, Trey Young did down the stretch because in most other years, DeAndre Ayton would have been rookie of the year. But Easily. that's the headline. Suns open 0-5. Interesting.
3: I'd be interested to see what kind of pressure there would be if that were the case. and And really what we'd see from... From the Sun's first two months of the season as they try to get this thing sorted out record wise. I'd be curious about that, Noah. Uh, for me, you brought him up. It's got to be about Devin Booker. So for me, it's Devin Booker is the league's leading scorer. Now, I can say that. Here's the thing you brought up Rubio and how that's going to work. I am curious about what the Suns do in terms of making Booker more of a ball dominant guard. We obviously know that he's a volume scorer. Type player. We know his ability to shoot the ball. They want him to handle it more. He's been in those situations where he's brought the ball up the floor. But with Rubio, he becomes a scorer eight and now becomes the guy that they have in the post. He can also obviously step out and shoot. But last 14 games for Booker last year of the season, 33.6 points a game. He was seventh, tied for seventh in the league in scoring. But James Harden, Added Russ to his team, obviously. Paul George was number two, the injury for Paul George. Giannis, we'll we'll be curious to see what happens with him. Embiid was fourth. LeBron was fifth. He's now 34. Steph was sixth. He's now sharing the backcourt with D'Angelo Russell. And then who knows when Clay returns. And then Kawhi Leonard, who's on a new team, tied with Booker at seven. I don't think it's unreasonable to think that Devin Booker could lead the NBA in scoring.
4: The Phoenix Suns definitely improved their team this season, and especially from a fantasy basketball point of view. Devin Booker, I think, takes a step forward this year. His assists probably fall with Ricky Rubio joining the team, but that should help improve his efficiency and his overall scoring numbers. I think Booker's going to put up near 27, 28 points a night and be a mid to early second round pick this season. I think DeAndre Ayton sneaks sneaks into the back of the second round as well. He only played 30 minutes a night last season. That should rise. He might take some more threes. I expect improvements in some of his defensive numbers as well under Monty Williams. So I think that Ayton... He's a strong back-end second-round player. Rubio, uh, I think we're going to see more Minnesota Rubio versus the Utah Rubio. Utah's system really limited Rubio's effectiveness in terms of generating assists. I think they'll bounce back up. He provides steals. He's a pretty strong rebounder as a guard. And nobody's really going to be coming in to take his minutes. I think that Rick Rubio is going to put up some strong value in that 55 to 75 type range in your fantasy drafts. Um, the wings positions are still up for grabs. I don't know if Kelly Oubre or McCall Bridges is going to start. Both of those guys should get around 30 to 32 minutes anyway. Oubre I'd have ahead of Bridges. Bridges is probably 100 to 120 type of guy. Oubre probably 60 to 80 in terms of draft position. And then you've got Dario Saric, who I don't think is going to be a top 100 player, but should be the starting power forward who can provide a bit of scoring, hit some threes, get some assists at the back end of your draft.
0: We have one more stop along the way to give you the tomorrow's headlines, the fantasy basketball, and the expert's insight. That is the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers obviously had the big move. Anthony Davis joining LeBron James. Anthony Irwin hosts Locked On Lakers, the largest most listened to Laker podcast in the land locked on Lakers subscribe and follow it and let's hear what Anthony has to say about what should be an awfully exciting Lakers season
10: Anthony Irwin here for Locked On Lakers, and uh, my portion of the Locked On NBA team previews here. Can answer a few questions, as, has, uh, as will every other host across the NBA network, to get everybody ready for this season. Should be a fascinating one. Let's dive right in, though. Uh, number one, the two or three biggest storylines going into the season. Well, first and foremost, how will LeBron James and Anthony Davis fit alongside each other? And so far, and at least theoretically, it makes a ton, they make a ton of sense. And so long as they do, and so long as they stay healthy, uh, the Lakers are going to be one of the more dangerous teams in the NBA. That said... The second, you know, bit storyline to really pay attention to is whether the Lakers have enough shooting around LeBron James and Anthony Davis for them to operate at an optimal level. Uh, right now, Rajon Rondo and Avery Bradley have been getting the bulk of the point guard minutes. They don't space the floor. Uh, Danny Green is going to space the floor, uh, but, you know, can he provide enough by himself? Probably not. Anthony Davis doesn't want to play the five, so that means he's now your, your power forward and he has yet to make a three-pointer in preseason thus far in the two games that the Lakers have played and you know obviously JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard aren't exactly going to set the world on fire from from behind the line so Can the Lakers find enough shooting? Can Kyle Kuzma step into that role as a small forward in those lineups when James slides down to the four and Davis slides down to the five? Um, And then can Alex Caruso convince Frank Vogel and his bosses, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, uh, that he is actually the best point guard on the roster because he is one of the few guys, he and Quinn Cook are a couple of the few guys who can actually space the floor from the point guard spot. So that's going to be, those are the, the two main things that i'm really focused on uh, and will be focused on throughout the year number two what needs to happen uh for the best case scenario don't stay stay healthy well i mean i guess i i understand why we're not allowed to because this is what every team needs to do is stay healthy but if lebron james and anthony davis suffer any kind of injury and they miss a chunk of the season it's really hard to see this Lakers team doing anything. Um I talked about the spacing. that's going to be really important. and if the the other thing to to really keep in mind is the Lakers defense. Uh, Avery Bradley loves the try hard defense. He's a great eye test player. Everybody loves watching him pick up full court, but I think right now he's on track to to rack up about 7000 fouls over the course of of the NBA season and the the Lakers can't have that. They need him to play a little bit more contained and not try to ball hawk as much as he does. Uh the other thing that needs to happen is the Frank Vogel and his coaching staff need to be able to stand up to the locker room politics because you know you have the clutch dynamic is KCP gonna get an outsized uh, role this season just because of his clutch ties? Is Rajan Rondo gonna continue to get, major minutes at point guard despite being arguably the worst point guard on the uh, on the lakers roster um can vogel convince lebron that okay fine if if rondo has to play it can never be alongside you like those things those things are really going to be important over the course of the season number three what would uh lead to the worst case scenario don't say injuries again uh we already went over that but the the opposite of what i just said the politics wind up dominating uh the the coach and player dynamic and frank vogel isn't allowed to fully do his job (laughs) or even worse jason kidd accomplishes the coup that everybody seems to know is is coming he's already developed a nickname out here in la he's Kittlefinger. for those of you who are game of thrones fans uh everybody sees it coming so it's just a matter of whether the lakers can withstand that or frank vogel can help the lakers succeed at a level where kid doesn't have the opportunity to do that um other things, if if you know if the Lakers don't develop enough shooting, we saw this last year. There was an actual curse. Every player who shot for the Lakers last year, other than Rajon Rondo, but all of his three pointers were wide open. So like shooting thirty six percent on wide open three pointers isn't exactly anything to write home about. But just about everybody who played for the Lakers last year who was expected to hit three pointers didn't. And if that happens again this year, and and that curse of Lakers three point shooting continues the defense isn't going to be good enough to withstand that. This isn't the situation where, like in in Philadelphia, that that defense is going to be so insanely good that they'll be able to get away with Ben Simmons making a handful of three-pointers or only attempting a handful of three-pointers alongside Al Horford and Joel Embiid. They'll be able to withstand that. Uh, But the Lakers won't be able to. They play in a tougher conference, and and that type of identity doesn't usually work out here in the West. Uh, Number... 4? Yeah, 4. Will this team be stylistically different on either the offensive or defensive uh the court and how? Well, I've actually written about this a few times. I've talked about this a few times. The Lakers, for the first time in my life, uh, are going to have a physical punch-you-in-the-mouth identity. They want to play big. They have started every preseason game thus far and probably will continue to start every preseason game thus far with either JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard alongside LeBron and Anthony Davis. That means you have just incredibly physical players at each of those three spots, uh, at least to start the game and at least to start the second half, probably. And then even when they slide down, even when teams try to go small, Davis is going to just rip apart small centers uh, throughout the year. LeBron James is going to rip apart small power forwards throughout the year. Uh, th- that, to me, on both sides of the court, defensively and offensively, the, the the physical style of play, the physical identity, usually people associate the Lakers with glitz and glam. This is different. This is a very different, it's almost an Eastern conference team uh, shouts to Jim Boylan who thinks that, that the Lakers are incapable of being physical uh, that's that's definitely not going to be the case this year uh, number okay so there are multiple number fours <laughs> player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season I think it the the, the safest answer to take here is Dwight Howard if he just buys in and stays quiet and fulfills the role that the Lakers need him to fulfill he can hopefully you know he's not gonna to he's not going to completely have a 180 in terms of the way that he's regarded throughout the league that's definitely not going to happen but can he slow the slide into oblivion that he has been on really the last seven or so years I think that's something that can that can really happen and the other one is is Anthony Davis I think he's I in my opinion uh, he took a bunch of criticism, some fair, some not, uh, for the way he handled New Orleans, not just as he was attempting to get out of there, but really since he got there. And, and given the way they kind of bungled the first seven years of six, seven years of his career, uh, people kind of think of him as this worldly, otherworldly talent, but not one that makes teams better. And I think we're going to see a change in that this year. I. I i would be interested to see the mvp odds for for anthony davis and and maybe have some entertainment stuff on that uh let's go with number five players whose career trajectory is most impacted this season in either a good or a bad way i think alex caruso is, is is falls into this category on the good side of things he uh he, right now, is just kind of seen as this cult hero. He obviously was, I believe, undrafted, spent basically his entire career either in the G League or behind G League uh, players in Tyler Ennis or Rajon Rondo, and I think this year might finally be that time when, when people start realizing, oh no, he's he's not just an internet meme, he's a legitimate NBA player, and and he takes that step forward. Uh, rookies who will have an impact and how much? Nobody. nobody, No rookie is going to have an impact on this team. It's a veteran team. It's a LeBron James team. He's not here to wait around for Talon Horton Tucker to, to come in and save the day. If Talon Horton Tucker plays a bunch, something went terribly wrong. Uh, number seven, your best guess on how the season ends. I think they get into the playoffs, win a first-round matchup, maybe win a second-round matchup, and and maybe give somebody a ride for a run for their money in the in the Western Conference Finals. I think there are too many questions facing the Lakers to consider them, you know, title favorites, but they're certainly title contenders. So I think they, they, they make some noise in the playoffs and then next year is actually the year when they can take a step forward when you have continuity uh, to, to take into account and additional assets to be able to spend on, on more players next year. like That stuff, I think next year is the year for the Lakers, not necessarily this one. Two predictions about the season. I will likely take all of these and edit them into one show for opening night two predictions about this season i i am going to predict that anthony davis kind of re assumes his place in the conversation for top five players this year um and i think lebron james will he'll be the second highest scoring player on the lakers this year and, I, and that's, I, I don't think that's ever happened in LeBron's career, that he was not the highest scorer on a team that he played on. So that'll do it for this, uh, this team preview, this Lakers team preview that is a part of a larger NBA preview that David is putting together for the Locked On NBA channel. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. If you are interested in more of this kind of coverage, Check us out at, at Locked On Lakers. You can find us everywhere that you find podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Locked On Lakers. You can follow me on Twitter at Anthony LA. I'm usually the one that people are yelling at, so it's pretty easy to find me. Have a great one, everybody.
0: Analytics like them. Fifth best offensive team for the Lakers, seventh best defensive team. I question that, frankly, of whether they actually have the personnel to be the seventh best defensive team or not. But the fifth-best offense doesn't seem to be a surprise and the third seed in the Western Conference. All right, let's get our Josh Lloyd update. Let's get our Rejecting the Screen update before we wrap this baby up. We'll start it off with the guys from Rejecting the Screen. Noah Kozlov, Adam Stanko, the new national show on the Locked On Podcast Network. Make sure you go to iTunes, Spotify, Google, and subscribe to Rejecting the Screen. Get the twice-a-week national podcast. Here's what they have to say.
2: Can't you just see this happening with the Lakers? is A.D. afraid to stand up to LeBron? So Rich Paul is the connective tissue there. A.D. is now attached to LeBron. LeBron brings A.D. money. Rich Paul brings A.D. and LeBron money. It's almost like a love triangle that right now is all good. And LeBron's going to be making Rich Paul money off the court for years and years and years. And now he's just hoping that A.D. can continue to do that on the floor and then eventually off the floor also. But LeBron is going to be out there and he's done it so many times before acting like the big brother, the role model. Is this going to get to Anthony Davis at some point? If they hit adversity, then all of a sudden we're going to see the fit in, fit out. Or is it LeBron going to be then talking to Anthony Davis through Rich Paul? And we're going to have some sort of <laughs> therapy sessions. It's not all going to be roses the whole time, but I want to see how they deal with adversity. What happens when Rondo calls AD out, Adam?
3: Uh, that is a is a wonderful question, and it, it leads to my it leads to to my headline for tomorrow. What's wrong with the Lakers' offense? Rondo is a critical part of this. For all of the things I could see going well for the Lakers and taking out the psychological side that you just referred to and and the chemistry and whether these guys end up meshing, and and I love the idea of note-passing about Rich Paul or through Rich Paul regarding LeBron and and Anthony Davis. You just got me giddy for that one. I just want to put the numbers up of three players. Rondo, post-All-Star last season, 32% from three. Kuzma, post-All-Star last season, 25% from three and LeBron post all-star last season, 30% from three for all of the things the Lakers could potentially do well. And we've heard a bunch of them and the projections are there. If they don't have outside shooting from those guys on a consistent basis. And I know there are other shooters on the team, but if they don't have it from those guys, we could see problems with the Lakers offense immediately and they could linger.
0: And one last final stop with Josh Lloyd.
4: The Los Angeles Lakers welcome Anthony Davis to play alongside LeBron James. I think Davis is absolutely in that discussion to be the number one pick in fantasy basketball. To me, it really is between him, Harden, and Carl anthony Towns. Davis looked great in the Lakers' first preseason game. They were running everything through him. I'm not as worried about injuries with Davis as what others are, but prior to the trade request season, he did play in 75 games in two consecutive seasons. There is still a little bit of a concern, but nothing too major. LeBron, the injuries there probably worry me a little bit more, as does the poor free throw shooting, and I think LeBron is not a top 10 fantasy player for this season. He's in that 10 to 12 sort of a range rather than being a, a top seven sort of guy, which he has been in the past. Outside of those two, yeah, Kyle Kuzma, I don't think is a top 100 guy. He's a a low efficiency scoring only type of a player. Danny Green can be a three point specialist at the end of a draft. But then you've got Rajon Rondo, Kentavious Kuala Pope, Avery Bradley. I don't think they're anywhere near top 150 players. I do believe that JaVale McGee at the end of your draft should be someone to look at but he's also in a situation where he probably splits minutes with Dwight Howard, limiting the ceiling of both of those guys and making them just late-round players at best.
0: That is the Pacific Division. Friday's in the books. They're there for you all weekend or sometime this weekend. We'll keep going. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we'll walk through the entire NBA preview, all 30 teams from the Locked On Podcast Network here on Locked On NBA. Thanks so much for listening and subscribing to the program. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated. Please tell friends about this great preview. Nobody else can do what we're doing here on the Locked On Podcast Network, giving you the local experts on the biggest story, plus the national touch of rejecting the screen and the fantasy expert, the number one fantasy show out there, Locked On Fantasy Basketball with Josh Lloyd. Thanks very much. This has been the Pacific Division preview on Locked On NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.